next team. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be able to praise you. Amen. Wow. We've got about all my favorite songs in right there. All right. So, how's your 2020 more going? <laughs> yeah? Yeah? Got a couple people. That's good. You got your one word for this year? Encourage you, grab onto one word. Mine's more, as I said a couple weeks ago. Kind of what I'm focusing on. Um, got some few spiritual goals. Uh, if you don't, you probably hit them, hit them already. So uh, give yourself a few to look forward to. A uh, really good one would be to read Second Peter every week. All right? So we're working hard on that. Take the time to do that. How, how many of you read Second Peter this last week? Okay, about seven more than last week. Job, uh, you loosen your Bible somewhere? Or? <laughs> My friends, this is your brother. This is what I'm trying to help you. Take the time to read it. Let God change your life as you read His Word. I, you probably read other things too, I realize, but grow with me. It's eight minutes, all it takes just to go through it. Put it down, right on your forehead. <laughs> Whatever it takes to remember to do it. Hey, so I, I got an email this week from Kathy Brenzel. It was a general email. She's the National Day of Prayer Coordinator. We do that the first Thursday of May every year, National Day of Prayer. And she wrote something that's very, very significant. So listen. As we continue to pray and ponder all that God has planned for 2024, we look to Him to light our path and show us what is new and next on Heaven's calendar. I like that. That was good. By this time in January, January we've generally settled into post-holiday routine and our earthly calendars are covered with plans, projects, and other priorities. Statistically, statistically, I can say that word, the data shows that a majority of people have already tossed aside their New Year's resolutions and settled for routine and rituals that look very similar to those in past years. There are several problems with that decision, as you cannot continue to do the same thing and expect different results. More of the same brings... More of the same, exactly. We can learn looking back to the past, but we live looking and moving forward. But God is always moving us forward. So she said, early last fall, God put it on my heart that I needed to proclaim this year, 2020 forward. So now you got 2020 more, if that works for you, and now you got 2020 forward. God is always moving us forward. That's why, kind of, we designed define discipleship around here. A disciple is just somebody who takes the next step with Jesus. Doesn't matter how big it is; it could be a really small step. If that guy, what God wants you to do, and you take it, that's a part of discipleship. If it's a really big step. Sometimes He calls us to that. And you obey that and you go forward, that's what it means to be a disciple. To take that next step. But God is always moving us forward. <clears throat> so if 2020 forward works for you, it'd be a great, great way to think of this year. So, did anybody encourage you to read Second Peter yet today? Did anybody guilt you into reading at Second Peter today? It's that important, my friends. Just grab onto it. 
So all we're going to do today is we're not reading the whole thing. We read the whole thing last week, eight minutes worth, as I said. Today we're just going to read verses 1 and 2. So you've got a Bible there. One's found in front of you. I encourage you to take it. you got a tablet. you got a phone. Probably on there. Get the U version of the Bible. And make sure you got that on there for you. It's just such a good, such a good thing. We'll just, you can probably even program it so Second Peter will show up every morning at 7 o'clock. I wouldn't know to do that, but some of you would. All right. Here we go. Second Peter chapter 1. Simeon Peter, Peter, Simon Peter, Cephas, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Father, this is your word. You've put it together. And I pray as it goes forward, our lives will be changed and our lives will be transformed. We would know you better and we'd be growing in what you have for us. Thank you for giving it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read as last week, we read this week, Simon identifies himself. Simon Peter, as I said, or Cephas, or Peter, meaning rock. He identifies himself and as a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Servant is a Greek word, doulos, and it can be translated servant or slave or bond servant. But it means this. It means he's under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and the ownership of Jesus Christ. He's not just a servant out in the world. No, he says, Jesus is my master. Jesus is my owner. Jesus is my Lord, and I am under his authority. Peter's not afraid to proclaim that Jesus Christ is his Savior and master. And I hope that you too are not embarrassed to be able to do that. That we would say, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he goes on and he says, I'm an apostle. And when he communicates that, an apostle is one who's sent to serve or to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ for them after witnessing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No one today can call themselves an apostle like Peter could because we have not witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We were not there. But you and I are sent, just like Peter was sent, to be able to give the gospel and to share the gospel with other people. So, you are gathered. We might even remind you of that at the end of the service, too. Put together, Peter, I think, humbly states it this way. I am under the authority of Jesus, my master. And Jesus, my master, has graciously given me the authority to represent him. What a privilege. What a privilege. And all of us as believers that have come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can say we are our servants and we are sent out by the Savior. So, get it down. For me, for you. You are a servant of, and, and you are sent by the Savior. And hopefully as we do that, we can communicate what Paul does in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God for everyone who believes. The salvation comes. Everyone who believes. That's who we are. We don't want to be ashamed of 
that which he has given to us to be able to send out and to give to other people so that they too might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We covered a lot of that last week. We also covered the geographical recipients and being able to see the map up there to help us understand. We have to go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 to be able to understand that. We know this is his second letter. He tells us that in, in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, this is the second letter that I've written to you. And he doesn't identify the people geographically, but he does in 1 Peter. And he says they're in Asia, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, and that area right there. That's where they lived in those Roman provinces. But now that's modern-day Turkey, as we understand. That's where the letter's going to. To those people, it's going to be going to move around. It's going to be able to be passed on to various cities, various churches that are there. But I want to remind you that this book was written for you today too. Did anybody tell you encourage you to read Second Peter this week? <laughs> this is for you too. This is for me. This is for all of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ. How important it is this letter that he's written that we can learn from, even as Roger. Read from it in verses 13 through 15 earlier for us this morning. The author, one author reminds us of this that I read this week. How we self-identify ourselves tells us a lot about who we are and what we think of ourselves. How we self-identify ourselves tells us a lot about who we are. Peter self-identifies himself as what? A servant and an apostle. He identifies himself. This is who I am. Now, he could say lots of other things in there, too, just like you could, but those are very, very important things for him to identify himself for us today. But he identifies the recipients of this letter in the second part of verse 1. He says, This letter is going to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours. It's a pretty cool statement. Let me, let me broaden it out a little bit for you as we think about it. Peter, though he's an apostle... I mean, he's, he's really a, a, a pretty big dude, okay? He's also the leader of the Jerusalem church. If we read through the book of Acts, we go through chapter 1, we go all the way to chapter 15. We see Peter, we see him leading the Jerusalem church. He's a part of the church. With, with all that kind of big stuff, with all that big stuff, he, he identifies with the people who are receiving this. He says, you have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't go, hey, man, listen to me. This is who I am. You know, ba da 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 You guys, okay, you low lives. You know, about time you got this, right? No, he doesn't do that. He says, this faith that we have is ours. It's ours together. And we share it together with you. We've obtained a faith of equal standing in the Lord. Now, I don't know, maybe you sung an old hymn that, that came to my mind this week. Uh, it, the, the words of this. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for me or for you. You know why that's true? Because as it's been said, at the foot of the cross is level ground. Everybody can come to the cross. And everybody's on level ground when they come to the cross. Because all of us are sinners, and we need the cross. And all of us, as we believe, we get the faith that God gives to us, and we're in equal standing with what God has given to us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Paul wrote about this equal standing 
a couple places. Well, maybe more than a couple, but two of them that I picked out for you this morning. The first is this, in Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. He wrote a few years later, because Galatians is one of the first books written, a few years later when he writes the book of Romans, he says, Therefore there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. Now, you think about those verses. Paul is not saying that there are not distinctions between us as humans. Look at the person next to you, if you would, right now. You've got to turn your head to be able to do that. There you go. Uh, do they look any different than you? Yeah, some of them are much prettier than you, much more handsome than you, right? Paul's not saying there aren't distinctions between us. Of course there are distinctions between us. Every child born is distinct. We have different fingerprints. All of us. So he's not saying that. He's saying, though, in Christ there are no distinctions. We are all one. It doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile or Greek. It doesn't matter if we're slave or free. It doesn't matter if we're male or female. That does not matter. We are one in Him. It's a pretty cool thought. We're a unit. We're united together in His kingdom work and what He has for us. An apostle or a pastor whose nose is running, excuse me, In Christ, an apostle or a pastor is no more valuable to God than what you are, not being an apostle or a pastor. And that's especially true of a pastor who cannot remember to pray for his meals. <laughs> if you haven't been here, I'm struggling with that. I do not remember to pray for my meals, okay? You might have that one down. I pray every morning. That's not an issue. But I am having a really hard time, and some of you are really trying hard to help me with texts to me at 6 o'clock in the morning. Are you going to eat your breakfast? Time to pray. They can do that, and five minutes later, I sit down with my bowl of cereal, and I forget to pray. <laughs> I'm, glad I don't I'm glad I'm alone with that problem. In Christ, in Christ, we're all the same. thought. We've obtained a faith that is common what Jesus Christ has done for us. You remember the first song we sang this morning? Who you say I am? I remind you the word to title that is not who do you say I am. The words are who you say I am. It's not a question. It's a statement of facts. That song is a statement of facts of who we are in Christ. Let me remind you. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. We've been found. You ever read in Luke chapter 15? Yeah, Luke 15, there's a lost coin, there's a lost sheep, and there's a lost son. And all of them got found. Right? been found. Song goes on to say, who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. 
I'm a part of his family. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. We've been ransomed by his grace. He paid the sin price for us. We couldn't pay that price. We were so mired in sin that we couldn't pay the price for our sin. But Jesus Christ paid that for us by his grace. Unearned favor. We didn't deserve it, and he paid that for us. Free at last, he has ransomed me. I gave him that one. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. We have an eternal home, John chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where you are, there you can come and be with me. We have a home, eternal home, someday. I am chosen, not forsaken. We are loved. First John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Not just a little bit of love. He's lavished His love on us. Well, let me list some more biblical blessings of our equal standing in Christ. We are all new creations. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Every one of us has come to know Jesus Christ is a new creation. We're children of God. We've been adopted into His family. We've been justified. We've been redeemed. We've been reconciled. We've been forgiven. We have the Holy Spirit and the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We have eternal, spiritual, new, and abundant life. Did you know that? We have four lives that God gives to us in the spiritual realm. He gives us new life. He gives us spiritual life. He gives us eternal life. And He gives us abundant life. We get those. All of us have that as believers in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says we're conquerors in Christ. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You who, we are who you say we are, and nothing will ever separate us from the love and security of God. Check out Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. No height, nor depth. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Turn to your neighbor and go, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Man, that's, that's, I, could, I could go through the Bible and I could find about 30 more blessings that come our way. This is what we have. We have equal standing through faith because we've all come to know Jesus Christ and be a part of His life. Now, how do Christ followers come into this equal standing? Well, Peter tells us obtained by faith. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Now, I know this acrostic. Help me out. Can read it with me. Forsaking all, I trust him. It's a beautiful acrostic, somebody. One more time. Forsaking all, I trust him. Beautiful. Faith. Forsake all because I'm going to depend on him. Hebrews chapter 11, you probably know this chapter very well, the Hall of Faith chapter. As it goes through, he says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The author wrote this as I read this week. Very, very well done. By defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a sealed confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Thus, biblical faith is not blind, blind trust in the, face of, in the face of contrary evidence, it's not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. The God who has revealed himself in his word and in the person of Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation, and who will never leave nor forsake his own. And there's a lot in that, right? Yeah, we could spend a couple days on that little thing. 
All biblical things. That's what Christ has done for us. That's faith and what God has done for us. Now, I'm going to explain this to you, but I will anyway. All people live by faith. Every person lives by faith. Whether they believe in God or not, they live by faith. The Christian believes that God is true, God is real. We can have a relationship with Him. The person doesn't believe in God, maybe an atheist, agnostic, they don't believe there is a God. They live by faith that that is true. Well, it's not true, but that's how they live. Everybody lives by faith. We live by faith all the time. We sit down in a chair. When you sat down in your chair two or three times this morning, you trusted that that chair would hold you up. Right? You had faith that it would. Sometimes in life, it doesn't. Like when I was in youth group and a guy pulled the chair out from another guy and the chair wasn't there. Uh-huh. Yeah. He had faith that it did, but the chair wasn't there. Somebody reminded me Thursday morning in our Bible study, a little men's group over at the hen house. You ever want to join us? And small groups, Sunday school classes were there in the bulletin. But they reminded us that, you know, that like cell phone thing you have? You live by faith that it's going to get a signal from somewhere up there in the sky telephone wires or squirrels, however they, you know, however you get it, those signals, right? You have faith that that's going to bring about what you need for this moment. You live by faith in that. All people live in their world system, in their philosophy, in their worldview. They live by faith. But it's really important to have faith in the right things, right? You see, saving faith is a gift from God. He opens our eyes to the need of Jesus, and he allows us to get into a relationship with him. In John chapter 6, 44, Jesus is speaking to the crowds gathered around him, and he, he says these words, No one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now get that. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws that person to him. You just don't decide to follow Jesus. When you came to know Jesus, it didn't happen just because all of a sudden one day you go, oh, I need Jesus. No, God had been working in your life. The Holy Spirit had been guiding you, helping you, moving you along. Maybe through the Word, maybe through a radio program, maybe through a podcast, maybe through a grandmother or a mother or a father or somebody close to you. God was working those circumstances out. He was drawing you unto Himself so that you could come to a place of saving faith. Saving faith is not earned by works. Some of you are reading through the Bible this year, and you've gone through the Bible. You just got through reading about, about Abraham in chapters 12 to 25 of Genesis. Paul writes about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. He says this, For what does the Scripture say? And then he answers that question. He says this, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, or it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. How did Abraham have a relationship with the God Almighty? He had faith. He believed. He said, I believe there's a God, and God has his plan for my life, and I'm going to trust him. That when he says, my descendants will be as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky that God's going to do that. Now, it took a while for that to happen. I'm sure he had a few moments where faith was kind of waning just a little bit. 
But God ultimately came through because God always comes through to his promises. Always. He will always do that. <clears throat> Saving faith brings us into a relationship with God. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been brought in a relationship. We weren't seeking after him. Romans 3 says no one seeks after God. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. Man, and we know that. That's where we were. And yet God did his work and he moved us and he wooed us and he drew him to himself to that point where we would say, yes, I want Jesus to be a part of my life. I need his forgiveness. I need to be justified. I need his righteousness. I need to be forgiven of my sin. So how do we obtain faith? How does faith come about? Well, here's just some verses that are kind of synonymous with what faith means. How about Romans 10, 17? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Just another picture of what faith is. It comes by hearing and it comes by hearing the word of Christ, which we have right here, God's word for us. How about John 11 and John 1 and 11 and 12? But Jesus, it says, came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He came to his own people. Covenant promise with Abraham, through Abraham. He came to his own people and, and, and many of them said no to him. But there were some who did say yes to him. And those that said yes to him, who received him, made him part of their lives. They believed in him, what he did on the cross, in his death and his burial and his resurrection for him. Those became a part of his family. We've said this out, we've said this quite often here lately. All people are God's creatures. They're God's creations. Everybody. It was illustrated so well in that video. All people are, but not all are God's children. Because God's children have a relationship with him. He brings them into their family. That's how you become God's children. You're his creation, every one of you. Is cre but when you accept him, when you invite Christ to be a fair life, then you are his child. That's what John 1, 1, John 1, 12 says. But as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10, probably know this verse. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. There we go. Good job. All right. Love it. But as it goes on, look what it says. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It happens here, it happens here. They come together for us. Not just one or the other. They come together for us. And you can know Jesus Christ, your Savior, by saying yes to him. Confess your mouth. Jesus is Lord. He is God. And that he rose from the dead, because he did. we got four accounts of it right here. Many other accounts, too. Keep going. How about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace are you saved. By grace. The unearned favor. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. For by grace you saved through faith. Just believing, saying yes to him. Not of works. Why? Because if it was work, we'd boast. And Paul says that's why it can't be of works, because we would boast about that. For by grace you save through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. That's a picture, another kind of synonymous verse about faith, how we obtain faith. I think you could probably put it this way. Somebody's horn's going off out there. It's really distracting me. You can barely hear it. But I think you did. You know this song, last song we sang? We need to understand this. It's all about Christ and Christ alone. That's how salvation comes to us. What Jesus Christ did for us in Christ alone, that's how we have a relationship with we didn't pursue it. We didn't seek it. We came to the point where we said yes. We believed. But it was God's work to get us there so that we could have faith, so that we could say yes to Him. Now, this aspect, that's saving faith, but, but God wants us to keep growing in our faith. He didn't want just to happen a moment in time. I believed. I said yes to Jesus. No, He wants to keep growing in faith. He wants us to, it's a pursuit, a lifelong pursuit to be able to follow and to love Him. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, as, as we're thinking about kind of the, the future and heaven and, and our lives here, he says, So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by... We walk by faith. We, we keep walking in it. We don't quit doing it. We don't go, oh, yeah, I'm safe now. That's good. Well, okay, never mind. No, he says, you keep walking that way. Colossians 2.6 says this, just as you received him, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By faith. So keep walking in him by faith. The same way, living the same way, bringing honor to him, pursuing him, saying yes and thank for that. Father, listen, the faith that brought us to Jesus is to keep us close to Jesus too. The faith that brought us to Jesus is to keep us close to Jesus, too. Well, Peter, as he goes on, and he talks about this faith. He goes on and he talks just a little bit more about righteousness. To those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter, again, is writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's not high or anything like that, okay? But the Holy Spirit's guiding him and directing him as he's writing. He's writing from his personality. He's writing from how he knows things. But God is guiding what he's putting together as he gives us his word. We'll look at that in, in verses 20, 19 through 21 in about five weeks or so, right? But he says that everybody who has this equal standing in faith has received the righteousness of God. And that righteousness has to come from a righteous person. That's God the Father and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, when we believe, we come and we say yes to Jesus, He justifies us. And if many of you, maybe from the old time, have heard this, justification just means this, just as if I'd never sinned. Justification, just as if I'd never sinned. And when we come to know Jesus Christ, that's one of the acts, that's one of the things that He does. He justifies us and He gives us His righteousness. He places His righteousness on our account. So inside, we are righteous, holy, sanctification, even as Sydney shared together. Sanctity coming from our sanctification, to be holy, to be set apart. He gives us His righteousness. He's the only one that can do that. I can't give you right any my righteousness because I don't only have it in Jesus and I'm not righteous in myself, just like you, right? We don't have that. 
God the Father does. And when we come to know Him, He justifies us. He sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ, just as if we'd never sinned. What a beautiful thing. He said, we've received that. Through faith, we've received His righteousness, the righteousness of God. You should say, wow, oh, happy day right now. Okay, you got it, all right. To keep you going, we just got another 35 minutes and we'll be out of here, okay? We're just kidding. We're almost there, almost landing the plane. It's getting close, okay? Pastor, land the plane, okay? All right. Romans 1.16, we read this earlier. Answer that phone, could be important. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for to the power of God, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's from Habakkuk chapter 2. The righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. What a difference that makes in our life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. This is what Jesus did for us. He made him... For he, our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. We can't do that on our own. It comes from him. He took our sin. He put his sin on Jesus on the cross. The righteous one, the only one that could die for us because he was righteous without sin. I couldn't die for you. You couldn't die for me because we're sinners. But Jesus without sin, our sin was piled on him. On him, on the cross. And that by believing in Him, what He did for us, we could have His righteousness. Wow, that is so good. Now listen, and once we've been declared righteous, we need to seek to live in right relationship with God and with others. See, because if I have God's righteousness, that's who I am. Who you say I am. Some song we sang this morning, right? That's who I am. Therefore, that's how I should live. I shouldn't live an unrighteous life. We're sinners. We're, we're, can you just struggle? We understand that. All of us do. But my nature is, who I am, is I have His righteousness. Therefore, I want to live that way. Paul explains it really well as he writes in, in Romans chapter 6. Do not present your members to sin. Of, uh, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Don't go be unrighteous. Don't go be sinning. Don't present yourself that way, because that's not who you are. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. God, use me. Use me, because I have your righteousness. Therefore, this is how I should live, and this is how I want to live. I know that's how you want to live, because that's why you're here today. You wouldn't be here if you didn't want that for yourself. That we would do the things that are God's things, and bring honor to Him. All right, phone's still going off. May grace and peace be multiplied to you, verse 2, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Think about it. God wants us to experience more and more of the grace and peace of God. Not just a little bit. He wants us to experience so much of it that we would want more of it. Exponential, as somebody said in our Thursday morning study. Abundant, overflowing multiplied like this, like this, and keep going. Grace, peace, keep piling it on, Lord. Love it. It's great. He says, it said in First John 3, 1, He lavishes His love on us. And in Ephesians, in Ephesians, He says this, He lavishes His grace upon us. It overflows, not just a little bit, a lot. He wants that for you and He wants that for me. That it would be multiplied 
in our lives. And how's that going to come? Well, it's going to come by having the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. As we get to know Him, does anybody ever encourage you to read Second Peter? Why? So that we would have a knowledge of God. So that we'd have a knowledge of God and His work in our lives. Now, you can read other places too. That's good. Right? But, but we read His Word so that we have a knowledge of Him. We get to know Him better. We have a personal relationship with Him. And we understand who He is so that we can experience His grace and His peace. So let me kind of state it maybe in a hopefully memorable way. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in 2020 more. And as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus in 2020 forward. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. We start off the book. Look, we start off the book. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Savior. Knowledge. That's part of what is his theme. Notice how he finishes his book. Verse 18 of chapter 3. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's a pretty good writer under the inspiration of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, right? He begins a book to make grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. And he finishes the book. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. That's what he wants to have that's what will happen to you as you put yourself in the second Peter. You put yourself in other places in the Word of God. Go for it. Go for it, my friend. That's what we're going to learn as we go through the book of, of second Peter.